Here we go. Welcome to Project Canary. Uh, tonight's episode, we're going to be giving you um, the week's update from the available situation report that we received from our BC Public Health Office. And we also have a guest tonight. Uh, we have her, her name is Angela, and she is a parent who is going to uh, share her experience with our audience tonight. Uh, Crystal, you want to give us an update of, of for BC COVID updates? Yeah, absolutely. So this weekend, I did my 15th edition of my commentary and questions, which sort of summarizes what is available within BC. One big thing that came out in the last week is the report by Ian Young, uh, which came out on May 13th and summarized severe issues that occurred within Vancouver Coastal Health and Fraser Health with regards to long-term care. So it found that the virus infected more than 1,000 people at 42 homes where outbreak status was deliberately not declared when low-risk staff fell ill. They also found that health authorities tried to withhold data about failures of the enhanced surveillance strategy with many homes letting visits and group activities continue. And the Little Mountain Place care home was the scene of BC's worst outbreak. 49 residents died in the outbreak, which was declared on November 22nd, uh, two full days after a worker tested positive for the virus. So obviously that information coming out is only the result of freedom of information requests that were put in, which were likely delayed and we just got them. Speaking from personal experience, I know that this situation happened at homes throughout the health districts, not just these health districts, and that includes the central Okanagan, where my grandmother's home experienced much of the same situation, and one-third of the care home residents died, including my grandma. So it is likely that we will continue to find out these situations as more data becomes available, unfortunately, mm -hmm. which is something that despite the media coming out right now and discussing the issues with long-term care, there were many individuals, myself included, uh, Ron Hughes, a big person on Twitter, uh, the seniors advocate as well, who were pushing for uh, many, many months, including up to last summer for these changes uh, before all of this happened. So this was something that could have been foreseen and dealt with. Um, variants very quickly. We Again, we're pretty blind. We know that it's about 83% of cases, but again, we're not actually doing surveillance for the purposes of understanding the number of variants anymore. And I'm trying to be clear about that because we can roughly estimate the portion of cases that are each type, but that's not all of them because this is just an estimate. So mm -hmm. we're sort of blind at this point. But what we do know is that the cases of the B1617 variant, which has been causing those horrific effects in India, we've previously talked about with the double mutant, we have up uh, as 306 cases as of May 12th. We were <laughs> Who at, believes that? <laughs> we, yeah, and we were at 39 cases as of April 4th. So these are just the numbers that we're getting. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's probably much more disastrous than this. Um, but we also saw in the last report that we have 15 cases of the B1618, which is the mm -hmm. triple mutant from India. So obviously, these things are progressing across the province uh, without much stopping, which we knew before. It's what we watched mm -hmm. with P1. Um, unfortunately, these ones seem to have more ability to potentially render more vaccine problems with efficacy. 
Um, the only other thing I'll note is that uh, when it comes to schools, I have been putting a lot of numbers together. So if we look at the week of April 30th, children under 19 accounted for 20.2% of cases. As of May 7th, that went up to 21.3. And as of May 14th, that was 22.1% of new cases. So as expected, because kids are the only group that cannot be vaccinated, they will slowly take over larger portions of the COVID cases. Since we're not controlling community transmission, that's the only place it can go. It has mm -hmm. to go to somebody, and those are the bodies. So we are seeing that many, many more children have become infected in these time periods closer to the summer. So September to January, we until the end of January, we saw 2,700 kids under 10 get infected and 5,900 kids 10 to 19. Gross. But just from February 2021 to now, we've seen almost 5,000 kids under 10 and over 8,200 kids 10 to 19. And we still have almost two months to go in that time period to make it a full five months. So we're probably going to triple the numbers that we saw in the last time period for kids infected. So that brings me back to the question of what are we doing with schools? We've still seen no mask mandate for those children in elementary schools. Um, it's just planning to go back to campus fully in September for universities as well. Despite the recognition by the BCCDC now that there is aerosol transmission, no substantive changes have happened in schools that I'm aware of, nor in universities, nor are there any plans to do any substantive changes. So Mel, that's my uh, little roundup. What are your thoughts? Uh, thanks for that roundup. Well, to me, I, I'm completely perplexed, just as you are, how we can intend to go into full-time university, full-time face-to-face instruction when our kid numbers are not going down and we don't have mandatory math requirements, especially at their desks when they're working together and the primary ages don't have a mask mandatory requirement. And, you know, meanwhile, we have Asian countries like Singapore where they have one outbreak and one cluster in schools and they've completely shut down because they understand that the B1617 variant is that virulent, that it's that dangerous, that that outbreak at Changi Airport has now done, a, they've, it's triggered a complete country shutdown. Right. And meanwhile, BC in Canada is operating blind and we have this la lackadaisical attitude towards this, which is completely mind boggling to me. We're watching it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like watching a very slow motion train crash. Yeah. Come and you're like, how can you, how can we be like this and be like this? Not, I guess, for lack of a better word aware <laughs> well and there are a lot of those countries that you're talking about that have used extensive contact tracing and have like reasonably small populations similar to british columbia that we could extend out and learn from them but we refuse to still we are this many months in and we're still not using our rapid tests we've used 1.2 percent of our rapid tests we are this many months in and compared to two months ago even though we're doing more testing we're still at the same percentage we were compared to national, we're at 58% of the national rate. We're still at 58% of the national rate. We continue to under test and just do a shitty job. 
That's just mm-hmm. like, that's our approach is the approach we've been taking. And we're like, eh, it's kind of good. It's kind of bad, but it's, it's working. And I saw Rika, a video of Rika talking about our response and how, you know, it's really about the also protecting vulnerable people, but at the same level, minimizing societal disruption. I'm sorry, what? Dr. Tegnell. <laughs> right? It's yeah. great, great Barrington Declaration. It is. Putting yeah, it is. our lives, and I mean that, your life, Mel, my life, the yeah. life of your child, Angela, yeah. on the same level as societal disruption. That's just wonder bar. Right? <laughs> and for me, that is the same thing, and... and again, everybody has views, as when people get mad that people are rioting and cause problems at buildings, when the point is people got murdered, right? Like, you're missing the point when you're talking yeah. about the property damage and not the murder. Yeah. Right? You're missing the point when you're doing this, BC, and it can't be a mistake anymore. It no. can't, right? You know, it's, it's definitely deliberate. And as far as the testing percentage goes... It's quite a quandary on why it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And that's including the private testing. Yes, so that what is are including we private testing. At? Are we at like 35%? Right. Are we at 25%? And no asymptomatic testing like Nova Scotia yep. and the Eastern provinces, right? Like we, yep. this is the minimum we can be doing. Exactly. You know, and, and like I've been doing that research on the private companies that are selling these tests, private for profit testing centers that are doing PCR, which, mm-hmm. you know, they're always claiming that the, the uh, reagents and the swabs are in high demand, right? And the rapid tests, you know, to have one done on the island is a $295 bill, right? They'll come to your house so you can go play. And who, do you know, like, who can, who can access that? Can anybody pay anybody for it? Anybody can. Businesses? Anybody can. You can book it online and they'll come to your house and be discreet. And that's in, that's, again, here comes the social stratification, hey? The yeah. people now who can get somebody to come to their house financially every day and run a rapid test on their yep. kid or a PCR test and send them to school knowing they're safe, even though it's a, a grand a week. Mm-hmm. How fun is that, right? It's disgusting, actually. And that, but there's people I, who yeah. can't get testing from the schools right now that are told that their kids don't qualify. You don't have enough yeah. symptoms. You don't have the right symptom. Yeah. Sorry, this doesn't count, you know? It's right from the beginning. I've suspected they were selling them because of film, because they're doing rapid testing Absolutely. on the film lots. And no for-profit private sellable rapid tests are available in Canada. They're all supplied from the feds through the province. So they've made some kind of arrangement with the film studios to supply them with them. So obviously the studios are paying for them. And we don't know how much exactly, but you know, it's got to be a pretty bill, right? Right. Who are the people we know? The the Canucks? Yeah. We know that film industry, right? Like the private economy people, the tourism industry. Oh, all the people that we know Dr. Henry has been helping reopen the whole time. Uh, That's correct. Whistler. Um, Right. I'm sure Big White, because they never closed Big White down. 
Oh, they did. And, and for sure, they had a bunch of mass they, testing up at Big White. They did yeah. in the Kamloops one as well. All the ski yep. hills pretty much got yep. priority service so that yep. they could stay open. Even right. though she knew for weeks that P1 was fucking mass infecting everybody in Whistler. Yeah. And over spring break, let it still stay open just for money. Right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and and from what I'm reading, you know, they advertise that they're available to governments, health authorities, films, but nobody's videos, big them. business. Uh, the tech tech mine, I guess tech mine, they they are one of their clients. They've got a whole list of them. And I'm pretty sure that's where the stockpile is. That's why we've only used 30,000 because they don't have any left. Mm-hmm. They've sold them all, which means that the province has stolen from the Canadian taxpayers, not just the BC taxpayers, but these were provided by the feds to keep people safe and keep kids in school and protect the long-term care and they've never been used for that purpose it's disgusting and nobody can tell us where they are right no there's i've been calling for forensic accounting for months somebody needs to do wherever they claim their warehouse is or wherever they claim they distributed them to hospital labs whatever they need to have a tour yep renee merrifield or sonia first and with a forensic accountant to go through and actually check the books because they're stealing from the people to make money. And that's not a surprise, right? Like, that's not anything that we're surprised by because we've literally heard of the film industry testing three times a day for the last 14 months. Where did the rapid test come from if we only use 30,000? Exactly. Hmm. You know, where did they come from? Why are the feds still sending the province more tests? Yes. When they aren't using, when they aren't utilizing them, they're just going, I mean, who knows that maybe the film studio is paying them 500 bucks a pop. Well, and they opened up the system so that you can apply, but nobody's getting them. None of the businesses that are applying are getting them. The feds have intervened to try and make it so that you can apply to them to get rapid tests now. But we have no idea where they are, right? And the number just doesn't shift. Nobody's answering the questions about what's going on with them, even though everybody's saying we should be using them right now and we have a plan for them now. But we don't actually know where the tests are. Right. So, uh, Media, if you're out there and you're listening to us, that might be a question to ask at a, at a, one of the pressers is where are, where's the warehouse? Do, would you have access to it to go? They should. Why would we not? Right? Like, this, this is the part where it's like, why do we even have to ask these questions anymore? This should We're, be like listed. Like our warehouses are here. Yeah. These are the numbers that are tallied every day. And you can see what it goes down by every day. Like right. it's, it's a, pandemic response like this is our health and we can't judge our risk level at all none of us that is what fired me up probably last year in april or may i'd be Mm -hmm. watching the pressers and going that can't be right those numbers have got to be wrong you know i knew so many sick people and you know my son's ea at school last year in January, February was off for like three weeks. She, you know, she called me and she said, I don't know when I'm coming back to work because, you know, my, ch- I have this chest infection and having a hard time breathing and they've got me on puffers and they, you know, we, she didn't know. And I don't think she ever had antibody testing them, but I'm pretty sure she had it. And there were tons of kids out sick. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there was a huge section from, you know, February to April that we, when we never went back and tested them, right? Or we yeah. did the shitty tests on them that are really inaccurate and only show up if it's like within two weeks of your infection. And then, oh, right. howdy dowdy, when you do that four months later, none of them show up. 
Yeah, you know, and you basically had to be dying in the hospital to even get a test. That was their strategy at the time was, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, and to me, obviously, if they're in the hospital and they have the pneumonia and they could, they'd already known from China, they could tell on a CT or an X-ray, they could diagnose them. They didn't need to spend all the tests on them at the time. Yeah, we, you know? at, we knew what was coming, right? Like, yeah, that's. We absolutely saw it. And many of us that like pay attention to worldwide politics for months, right? We're watching this going, well, this doesn't look good. You know, like what's this going to happen? You know, I'm telling my supervisor, like, should we have a plan if we have to close the clinic and there's a pandemic? They're like, no, no, it's fine. Like, no, no, it's under control. Oh, and then we're closing everything two weeks later, right? But, you know, all through the spring and the summer, like we we had, you know, 2020 was a really crappy year for my family in particular. And we were flooded out of our house and we were in an Airbnb for two and a half months before we moved into this brand new house that we bought. You know, we had insurance money, luckily. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, when we were in the Airbnb was owned by a friend of mine. It was half a duplex that she had just built and they were in the other half and the house wasn't finished Mm yet. And they were going out going to restaurants and having people over and having drinks with friends. And they were all like, Oh no, pandemic's over. It was only a six week thing. Mm-hmm. I, nothing I could do could convince them that that's not how this works. That's not how you do science. Right. And I think probably of her not talking anymore, but probably still to this day. Um, she probably still believes it from what I've heard from her sister, you know, until they closed the restaurants, they were still going constantly and, I was going to say, I think a lot of the people, unfortunately, that were in that state of mind last summer are entering into this summer with the same state of mind. So we're in this yeah. perpetual battle because our public health officer is clearly someone who doesn't like masks and didn't want to implement yeah. those. And now we're dealing with the ramifications of this long term because right. we happen to have a libertarian public health officer that <laughs> was at the toe when we hit this pandemic. And now we're just fucked. And, you know, we've we've seen that the they've already misappropriated funding for health and all this stuff. So it's like yeah. it, they're de- they're delaying FOI requests for months right now, citing the pandemic. They're doing all this data manipulation, clearly, yeah. even though it's being called out like we know that it's going to eventually come out. So it's like, let's just deal with this now because it would save a lot more lives if you just owned it up would. this shit now. And the frustration and, and you know, they need to read build back trust with the pub with the public because and it doesn't start till you own up to what you did that's right i mean they you know all they have to say is you know what we screwed up we kept everything on the down low you had a right to the information we made a mistake and we're going to fix it that's all not, they have to say not oh we already showed you this even though it was one right. graph from one page of 45 pages and that's apparently showing you all the information yeah no there's this and you know like i i did uh a comment on Mr. Horgan's data, you know, post the other day. And I'm like, right, shiny object because mm-hmm. he immediately, even when he's attacking people in, you know, uh, parliament or whatever, he's, he's switches to, we've done all these vaccinations. Well, look, I'm 49 and I'm still waiting for mine mm-hmm. because the scheduling has been a complete boondoggle. My mother who is 73, just had hers on Wednesday, her first shot. So, you know, we've, you know, I mean, I had cancer. I had two different cancers and five bouts of it. Um, I don't have a thyroid. I'm missing some other organs. I have to be really careful. You know, my mother almost died in 2016 from from a hematological problem. 
and she's disabled. So, you know, and she's elderly, so she's high risk as well. And then of course there's my son who's 16, has autism, ADHD, and a heart murmur. Yeah. So he's also high risk. And how many of those do they recognize as high risk? Probably none of them really. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, even his, his developmental pediatrician in Vancouver said, you know, I'd love to be able to get him vaccinated. I can try putting in a request, but mm-hmm. even if they come out and say they're going to do kids, it's going to be a while. Well, and the research says, right, wow. like they, they're just completely ignoring those with disabilities when it comes to vaccines, like a whole group of people they've just not designated to deal with. They're just yeah. ignoring it. And also ADHD, right? There's research out there showing that kids with ADHD specifically, because they are impulsive and don't follow the measures as precisely, they're more likely to get infected. So that is a risk factor for them, whether they recognize it or not, right? Like the research is there. They just don't follow it or care about it. Yeah. No, I don't think they care about people as a whole. I really don't. I I wish I could understand the, the thinking behind their response it's it's so different from countries where they've tried at least tried to get it under control they've never done that here they're just letting it roll this is maybe covid actually a good time to ask you angela to i know you you mentioned your son um if you could tell us a little bit actually about your family a little bit more and how the pandemic has impacted you specifically because that would help us understand uh what questions to ask from there Okay. All right. So for right from the beginning, um, you know, I'm pretty astute and, you know, I'm a bit of a social media, mm. you know, person. So um, I had been following on Reddit and I had been seeing all these things pop up talking about this is right at the end of December, beginning of January. I saw some of the earlier videos. I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. that doesn't bode well, you know. And then when, you know, you saw the pictures of them out there with these street sweeper spraying disinfectant in the air and they're in these moon suits like okay that's not droplet you know right from the beginning it was obvious and then they locked Wuhan down yeah and I I looked at my mother and I said uh I think I'm going to Costco tomorrow you know you just you just know I mean because there it was it was Chinese New Year and they had five million people escaped the country well they were still landing here every day right up until the end of March so you know we knew Mm -hmm. there was going to be a problem so, you know, right from the get-go, and I tried to keep things as um, normal as we could, um, and it, I pulled Matthew out of school mid-February because, right. you know, his teacher came back kind of sick, and there was like four or five kids off at the same time, and they'd been off for a while. It wasn't just like a cold, you know, it was obviously, mm-hmm. it was circulating, right? And I thought, you know, I, I can't die here. I can't orphan my kid, you know, and... Um, And then, of course, that was fine. You know, we were kind of stuck at home. But at the time, I still had respite Mm -hmm. for him. I had had the most amazing social worker up in Parksville. And she had uh, him as one of the clients of a respite home based out of Nanaimo. And they would take Mm -hmm. him for two or three nights every two weeks. And they would take him to school and they would take him swimming and they go to the movies and they were just amazing with them. Which I suspect the, is a very much needed break for you. It is. It's, it's really hard. You know, I've been raising him for, it'll be 16 years in November by myself. Like it's been, yeah. you know, a, a long haul. And uh, anyway, so that was what kept my sanity. And then of course we got flooded out and we had changes going on there, staying, you know, at an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And as we were moving into this house, the end, you know, uh, last week of June, he was at respite and I got a call from um, not his social worker, but her boss. 
from MCFD. Right. That said, um, this is, you know, short notice. It's really, sorry, it's bad news, but we're going to have to have you come pick him up. I was like, why? What happened? And she said, well, the center's closing because we're going to have to take in an emergency foster child. She said, we're canceling all the kids. They had, because they had the upstairs suite and the downstairs suite. It was in a house. Mm-hmm. And they had my son downstairs by himself, but they had two or three kids upstairs whenever, right. you know, and families would rotate. I thought, well, that's a bit strange. So you're going to cancel like eight different families? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I didn't have much choice. So I had to go pick him up. And then I got a call from his social worker a couple of days later saying, it's temporary, but we don't know how long it's going to be. So right. I'm sorry, there's not a whole lot, you know, we can offer right now. I'm going to, and you're moving, I'm going to have to transfer his file. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, can you not? Can we just, you know, I've got my post office box up there. Can we just keep that address? Because she was amazing. Well, right. Right. You know, they wouldn't do that. So they transferred his file uh, beginning of July. So here's already been a couple of weeks. I've had no respite. I'm removing. It was just chaos. Um, of course, you know, I'm afraid to be around other people. It was just, you know, it's yeah. a nightmare. And we get transferred to the new social worker and I never hear from her. I don't, you know, I tried calling, I left voicemails, I was sending emails. She finally called me, I think it was like the 29th of August. And she said, "Um, I know it's tough for you, but we really don't have anything else going on right now because of COVID. So, you know, we're going to put them on a list for another house and, you know, fill out this paperwork. So I had to do the whole intake process again after how many times I've done it. It's a nightmare. So I did all that and then I never heard from her again. So that was last August. I have sent multiple emails. I have notified her boss. I have. Have you not heard from them since? I have not heard from them since Since August of last year. That's correct. Actually, I I got an email from her earlier this week. That's just. Yeah. I got an email saying we have a new con- a new respite, like, you know, because I get a, a monthly amount, like it's nominal, like 200 bucks a month that's supposed to go for respite, but it only covers like three hours a month. Yeah, right? it doesn't. Of course. Because the center he was going for before was direct pay. The government right. paid them directly, regardless right. of whatever it was. So that was nice. Well, I can't pay that because they're like 50 bucks an hour. There's Absolutely. just no way, even if there was somewhere to send him. So anyway, that was the only time I've heard. And it was just, uh, you have a contract to sign pop by and I responded haven't gotten a response from her and that was almost a week ago and that's the only time I've heard from her since we moved here so we have had absolutely no support how many months is that since you've had respite then nine eleven 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 it'll be a year next month yeah okay so I as a parent of children with severe ADHD. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have the same experience as you, but I have some experience with a high needs child. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really important because I know I noticed one thing you said that the social worker called you and said something that would have made me cringe, which is, I know it must be hard for you. Let's stop there. (laughs) No, you don't. So I love the, I love the, uh, the, the downplaying of the, the inconvenience, right? Yeah, like as if I need this because I just want to go for a Starbucks with my friend or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's I, I would love if my you mind. could. Yeah, I would love if you could break down why you need respite and how that's important for parents that have high knee kids, high knee okay. kids. My my son is what is 
on the lowest functioning, most severe end of the spectrum. When he was diagnosed, when he was, that was another thing, it was a two and a half year wait to get diagnosed. Um, he was four. And they, at the time, they said he had autistic spectrum disorder. You know, they basically explained it like um, ASD on the spectrum is like a mouth. Like if you picture a happy face, it's the mm -hmm. mouth. Well, he was the nose. That's how they explained it. Like his is severe. He's kind of like Rain Man, but without speech. Right. You know, he has the same motions. He does, you know, he grinds his teeth. He's very sensitive to his sensory issues, noise issues, fabric issues, sleep. Yeah. Sleep's been a big thing. He's heavily medicated or he would never sleep. He was um, in between medications a couple of years ago. He was up for four days straight. And we had to have him hospitalized. <clears throat> he can't be left unattended. Like, yeah. period. Right now he's playing in his room, so it's all good. But, uh, yeah, no, you have to, I, we call it Matthew proofing. I've got right. baby locks. I've got keypad locks to keep him out of rooms, out of my bedroom, out of the garage. And because, I want to put it in context because he's 16. But when we say he he's is. 16, what does that mean for his adult life in terms of will this change? It will never change. No, right. So no. this is not your parenting for 18 years. This is your parenting this is for forever. his entire life. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. You know, and, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm not in the best of health. I'm not very strong anymore. Um, <clears throat> it's a challenge. I don't, you know, the social work of this year, part of the, um, plan for him as he aged was transition planning yeah what are we going to do when he turns 17 where is he going to go what's going to happen when he's 18 is he going to have a group home is he going to have home care right right and another thing is once they hit 12 they age out of daycare yes so once he hit 12 it was like it made it really hard for me to work <laughs> right. right right because, because school I hours daycare. Or other hours don't exactly fit with work hours, typically. That's correct. You know, and I managed when he was a baby. You know, I worked shift work. I worked some overnights. I was working in casino and doing graveyards. And, you know, and he'd be at daycare all day. And then grandma would watch him at night. And, you know, unfortunately, she is unable to yeah. work with him now because he's too much for her. He's really strong. I, he's well, very I was stubborn. Gonna, yeah, I was going to ask... I know it's a yeah. hard question to ask, and I ask mm -hmm. it as a parent whose child is also, well, is violent. Um, do you have that issue with your son? No, no, he's really like sweet. No, 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 he's really, really, really sweet. But, you know, if I go to try and take something away from him, it's like, right. you know, a kid playing, like, flag football or something, and they're dragging right. you along. That's basically what he does. Oh, yeah. 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 But uh, mostly, I mean, his nickname since he was two was Captain Destructo. <laughs> because that's what he does. He destroys things. He'll he'll destroy your house in an hour. Right. So, excuse me, I'm going to have to cough. My throat's dry. One second. No worries. <clears throat> so what, my drink. How, what changes have you noticed for you and for Matthew since you've been uh, unable to get respite? Um, He's definitely bored. He's definitely a little naughtier. Like, if he thinks we're not watching him, he'll get into something. Like, the day we moved in here... I had the furniture being delivered and I was dealing with them in the living room and I heard water. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> right? And he managed in about mm, probably 30 seconds, he managed to flood the bathroom and the hallway. Oh. You know, because he's, he's liquid obsessed. Like, I have to keep everything locked up. Laundry soap, salad dressings, milk, juice. Because he'll either dump it all down the sink or he'll dump it all over the house. Right. And the taps off. Like I have all the taps at night are shut off under the sink. 
mm-hmm. to keep him out. Like it's, it's a challenge. Like if you, if you forget, he knows and he takes advantage of it. So, I mean, we're lucky he's really sweet and he's really affectionate, but yeah. he, you know, it's, it's the hypervigilance. Well, and, and he, it's, it's still exhausting because it's all the time. It is. It's two, four, seven. Right. It is. Yeah. I don't get a break from it. Period. Ever. <laughs> Not and now. How how has that been for you in terms of the eleven months? I I can't imagine. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It, it's it's hard. I mean, some days like I you know I I against my better judgment and I've sent him back to school since spring break because I thought you know I have to have a break. I can't do this another three months and then have him home constantly over the summer. Yeah. With us not being able to go do anything, you know I can't take him down to the lake because it's going to be a gong show, right? Yeah. Um, or the beach or whatever. I tried that last summer and it was just, hor- I mean, on the island, it's just hordes of tourists. It's just, it's just not safe enough. So anyway, he's luckily though, um, four out of his five days a week, it's outdoor school. Oh, that's and amazing. That's, yeah. That's the good thing they're doing. One, if he's, they've got him on the quarter system and he's in a life skills program. Mm-hmm. But they do um, most of the day until after lunch is outdoor rock climbing. Oh, that's awesome. In arts and crafts. So that's the good news. So that's one reason why I kind of felt like, oh, I'm going to send him back. So, How have the schools been with you? Yeah, the school? I don't know. I'm not impressed. Let's just say that. I'm still considering putting him into um, a private school for the fall. Okay. If we can. But What know, has made it? What has made it difficult with you within the public system for meeting your child's needs? Not being able to go in and have uh, team support meetings. Okay. Can't do that. Um, I can't, like, go to his classroom and sit with him and see what kind of artwork and stuff he's doing like I used to be able to. Um, there's just no communication at all, period. Yeah. I don't hear from anybody. Right. I just, you know, luckily he's on, they call it, you know, the small bus, but he's picked up at our door and dropped off at our door. Right. Which is good, which gives him a little bit of independence because he does love the bus. But, you know, you know, that's another thing. And, you know, I'll segue into the safety issue with the schools. Yeah. That they're not, I think, because they've had so many teachers on call. They've had so many people lost sick or, you know, cut their hours. They're not keeping track of the kids. As far as I know, like I've, I told you before about them losing him at the school that day and not putting him on the bus. Well, right. you know, that was a major traumatic episode and can you tell us a little bit about what happened that day in terms of what led to it um you know I actually don't even know the whole details about what happened I was still trying to ascertain but you know they just didn't put him on the bus to come home and he didn't show up and the school didn't know where he was and it was getting dark and I had to call 911 and they found him on the school field standing by himself at you know just before 4 30 in the dark he doesn't speak he doesn't know his way home you know, and the school really took no um, accountability for it at all. Mm-hmm. They just said, you know, oh, we think he went on the bus. Well, think isn't good enough. What if it was your child? So, you know, every day at 20 after three now, I'm texting his teacher. Is he on yeah. the bus? You know, I can't trust them. And well, I was going to I was going to say that's what I'm hearing is like it's it's hard to trust leaving your son with them. Exactly. You know. So I do check up every day, you know, when he's at school, I'm, you know, I'll text his EA and say, did he eat his lunch? Does he need mm-hmm. anything from me or whatever? But that's the extent of the communication. There's really none. 
And unlike at his other school where they would call me and they would say, you know, we're doing our little uh, jaunt out to the coffee shop today for the life skills thing. Do you want to come down and have coffee with the kids? Right. I don't, there's no participation at all anymore. So I'd like to ask this question and I asked it of Luna as well um, because Dr. Henry has repeatedly stated that the plans that they have made are for the betterment of children, particularly the mental health of all children. Um, So I'm wondering if you could talk to me about how you feel about that statement and whether it um, is accurate to your experience. Um, How I feel about that, I think that is just another one of their party lines. That's another one of their excuses to, you know, uh, for what they're not doing. Right. They claim they are doing it for the mental health of kids. Well, I don't think so because my, you could see my son's been depressed all year. Right. You know, he's not happy. We're not happy, you know, and all of us get frustrated. He acts out when he's unhappy. And And rather than you getting tangible supports, you've actually lost tangible supports from the government during that year. That's correct. We've lost all our supports. And, you know, his, his pediatrician, I, he's been him his since he was two. So, you know, I love his doctor. But the last time we had an appointment, when we did it over telehealth, he said, why isn't he going to school? And this was before spring break. And I said, because it's not safe. You know, my health history, you know, my mother's health history. Like he said, yeah, but the school's going to lose their funding. Like that's all he cared about. Whoa, you know, all the years I've known him and all he seemed to care about was the school funding. And let's be clear that that is why they are having a full return in September is because they lost much funding in the last year and they're forcing parents to make the decision to have their kids have their butts back in their seats full time so that they can't lose the funding. And especially for children who have IEPs or some sort of disabilities like my child or your child, they're worth more money. So, yeah. Yep, he is. Even though they're not really actually helping him more, right? No. Even though they're saying the mental health is important, but the children who have IEPs, who have disabilities, who were already struggling with mental health and didn't have enough supports, couldn't get diagnosed, had those long wait lists, they haven't added to help any of those kids. They've just left them even further behind. That's correct. And, you know, originally, because I thought, you know, our situation with having moved and changed districts, that we were kind of unique in that sense that we had lost all our support. And then, you know, come to find out, you know, reading on Facebook and friends of friends, it's happened all over the province. It's happened mm-hmm. to parents everywhere. Yeah. It's unacceptable. You know, you're going to have some parents that are literally going to lose it. Right. You're going to have some kids that are going to wind up in foster care. Like, Well, and people, I think it really is hard for people to understand Um, sometimes families who have high needs like that. And I really like this. There's a film on Netflix called A Dangerous Son, which I really like. If anybody's interested in watching a film that that deals with some of these sorts of issues, um, that people can get to the end of their rope, right? In like a real genuine way. And I say this as a mother of someone who has a child with severe ADHD and I have been at breaking points. I have spanked that child who's four and I never spanked my oldest child. I would have felt so shamed if I spanked my oldest child, Mm -hmm. but I have broken and gotten to that point with my youngest because I felt like I had nothing else I could do in those moments. And that's after like 12 months of being in a house and nobody helping us. We're alone. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to help us. People break. We can only do so much. And like 
again, this is a child who might like throw his whole 50 pounds at me and punch me or slam a door on me or do things like that. Like in a genuine, physically harmful way, this is what that sort of parenting is like. Yeah, it's not parenting a child who is neurotypical or has no issues. Yeah. And, you know, and for I think for most people, like you tell them that at least for us anyway. Oh, he, you know, those I've had people say, what's his problem? Well, he has autism. What's your excuse? You know, (laughs) really? I mean, you know, but they think it's in an abstract. They don't understand the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. And when I get armchair psychologists, you know, telling me, oh, you know, you need to do this and gluten free meals and all that doesn't work with him. It's not going to be cured. That's the major line us as moms have is like, thanks for offering. It's like, I haven't right. tried that, right? No, yeah. I totally didn't think of that. That's you know, what, kind of, I just enjoy this, you know? Exactly. You know, even pre-COVID, like, that's not the kind of help I'm asking you for, is what I would say to people. Mm-hmm. How about you come and you watch them for 20 minutes so I can go have a shower? Right. Right? Maybe Absolutely. you could make lunch for him yep. or take him to the park for me. Yeah, and I, you know, like I went through 11 surgeries in five years, 11 major surgeries and having to to parent an autistic child at the same time with no help was not easy, you know? So I, I wish people would understand just exactly, you know, they think it's hard enough trying to do homeschooling, you know, Mm -hmm. with their elementary or (laughs) young teen on the computer. Well, what about kids that can't function without the hand over hand learning? Right. And that's my son. Yep. There's no, there. I can't, I'm not a teacher. I suck at that stuff. Like, right. How are you supposed to do work, uh, take care of other kids if you have them, also do the house stuff, also do the life stuff, also yep. teach literally for like six hours a day, face to face with them, learn subjects you don't know, relearn like physics, relearn, you know, random subjects that you have to do. Yeah. It, there's only so much one human can do. Exactly. Well, I, I decided, you know, probably this time last year that something was going to have to give. School gave so, for me, to be honest, yeah, with my 16-year-old son. It was like, if you pass, I'm happy. We're going to, like, yeah. we're going to work on it together. But at the end of the day, like, his mental health matters so much more than school. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I, you probably know as, as individuals that, you know, the less busy you are, the harder it is to get busy. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, it's, it's hard work doing nothing all day. Right. So when you're home, you lose all motivation and it's yeah. the same thing with the kids. Yeah. You know, really. Well, and I think we're societally at that like languishment right now because we're exhausted. Yeah. Mentally We've drained. We've been trying to keep our heads above water for, for a year. And now we have things like the government's been lying, like nobody's yeah. listening. We're not having, like, it's just like we get hit every time we try and keep our head above water. We're exhausted. It's, it's bizarro world. Who knew? Right? Well, and we have to get amped up, right? Like every Monday yeah. I get up and I'm like, fuck, it's presser day. I have to oh. like mentally prepare for what lies are going to happen. And that is not what we should yeah. be living in. It's abusive. We, we do, uh, let's, let's, we have like a COVID pool going, mom and I, right? We're like, okay, what do you think the numbers are going to be from Saturday? How yeah. close was I, right? You know, and it's stressful because we know it's all, it's all bull. I Smoke mean, and I, mirrors. I wonder, like, they might report these numbers, but how many are they holding back? Well, and our ICU right? number is pretty much the same as Alberta, right? Yeah. 
Our and ICU numbers and they have way more cases than us. And we take ours off the list, right? After right. the infectious period. So we still have a big chunk, probably I'd say 20% more than they're telling us based on the graphs they put in the last modeling yeah. that we just don't even know. And the ICU numbers don't look to be f- moving as much as the hospitalization numbers. Nothing yeah. in the data is making sense anymore. No. And you know, like, because I, I have, I have a routine now <laughs> in the morning. You know, I screenshot um, the dashboard mm-hmm. and then I go into the CSV data and I check and compare it to the previous day because it changes yep. every single day. Yep. You know, like our numbers don't match. And then I compare it to COVID tracker, which is incredibly accurate. They actually put down the other day seven deaths. But when BC yeah. was counting as five and then everybody was like, well, it's off by two. Something's not right here, but they knew it. It was on there. So you know, and the other day, the actives were off by 830. Jeez. 830. Like, well, and it's... when they get up there and they're like, she can't tell us a number, what is your fucking job? I'm sorry. Yeah. But you should be able to tell us the ages of the people who died without mistake. There's seven of them. Yeah. Right? Like, at least have enough respect at this point to do your job. I don't believe one word that comes out of her mouth. No. You know, when I caught that, who's the 20th person, right? And it took them three days to get back to Marcella and said it was someone in their 60s. I don't believe it. I'm sorry, I don't. Right. Because they should not have delayed unless they were trying to cover their tracks. They were trying to cover it up. She stumbled on her words and I caught it right away because I pay attention. Well, and both times that they've announced the death of a child, it's only because they had to drop it before the sit rep dropped and it was going to be in there. Those are the yep. only reasons that they told us about the deaths of those children is they were going to have to show it in the data. That's right. Yep. You know, and... How when, many are they investigating in autopsies right now that we don't know of? They'll never right? tell us. They know that number right now, right? Yeah, they are sure tracking they it. But There was that little girl here in Duncan. Yep. The, was it 11 old, old. The one that I had the dream about, you know, um, had a sudden death overnight. Yep. And they've released no information about it. I well, mean, I could probably find out because I, I know some social workers that would probably tell me. But we saw months of people saying, like, someone died from pneumonia or yeah. that someone died at home. Like, why else would be people be fucking dying at home that are that age, right? Like, the girl in Alberta who was 17 that died on the way to the hospital because they didn't yeah. know how bad the symptoms were. You know, those are the people dying at home. We should have a pretty, like, they should be telling us what those stats look like. Because those could be a whole other group, right? Because it's those young people that don't recognize the symptoms and die in their home. And those would skew the stats. Well, it's also, I think it would have people have more buy-in, too, if they actually had a comprehension of how dangerous it could be for their kids. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we've had 10, we've had 10 kids under the age of 20 die Mm -hmm. since December. Well, that's absolutely freaking tragic and, you know, preventable. All tell preventable. us what happened. What did, you know, what, what could we do to make sure it doesn't happen to someone else? Right? right. Instead of coming out there and saying a baby died and then not even dealing with it. Like, and then she moved like, on to vaccines. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's, those are children. I can't, like, it's. It's in it's insanity when they go up there and they just move on from it. Or like the fact that we have twenty two thousand kids that have been infected and God knows how many more that were They're asymptomatic. Never mention that. Oh no. Right? And, and these schools are still in session. 
schools right, are still, and schools in, are session. still in session, and the number is like is shifting way faster in this time period. Like I did yeah. all, I took their CSV, there's their file this weekend and just yeah. ran it to see. Right. And from February, 2021 on, it's like the increase is massive. Like way oh, more kids are getting sick. And with these variants here and increased transmissibility and mm-hmm. kids being asymptomatic, they are going to become 40% of the number, just like the other places. If we keep this up. It won't take long, maybe another no. two weeks, probably. And that's and remember, that's just showing in the data, right? They're already that's more they're than they're showing. To. It's 22% according to the data that only tests symptomatic kids right now. So well, if we add in a huge chunk, right? Well, the symptomatic kids that actually get are able to have their parents put up a big enough bus that they get yeah. tested. Absolutely. So kids probably are already at 40% like they are in Quebec. We just don't know it. Right. You know, I mean, it's been a bit of a, you know, uh, Three Stooges episode, basically countrywide, but BC is the, holds the data so <laughs> close to their chest. Like, it's, it's, well, it's and, upsetting. And, and Bonnie Henry seems to have just this very distinct personality quirk of being unable to admit fault. Like a she, lot of people are like that. Yeah, it makes government her, employees. Yeah, it makes her furious that she gets questioned. You can see it, right? Like yeah. she gets ticked off when she gets difficult questions. This is literally your job. Why are you upset? Like when a client comes to me and asks me about like consent or asks me about what's appropriate or not appropriate or whether I did something appropriate, I'm like, hell yeah, let's have this conversation. Of course, right? Because I'm responsible to them, just like the government is responsible to us. Apparently they're not though. Not anymore. Apparently, in, like uh, you know, plutocracy or what? It, I don't know what it is. John Horkinocracy. My mother has always joked since I was a little girl that she would say we have the democratic right to elect a dictator, mm-hmm. and that was a joke to her. But it's not. It mm-hmm. seems to be true. Mm-hmm. And this is the problem we have is that so many people have bought into the NDP crap and want to think that the NDP are progressive and good. They're like, no, they couldn't be yeah, lying. Yeah, I never believe doing that. These bad things. Uh, have you met Horgan? He speaks like a misogynistic twat when he's in the legislature or in parliament. Like he yells yeah. at people. He yells oh, he at women. Them. He's super rude. <laughs> Last I checked, you're supposed to be professional in the government. Why are you yelling? They asked a question about responsibility towards health stuff. You should have to give a respectful and full answered question. You're in the fricking government. I, you know, why is it only Renee and Sonia or, and occasionally Adam Olson that are speaking up? Where is the rest of this government in all parties? The rest are old white men that have no reason to speak up because they're getting their financial incentives in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's my best guess. Is that because let's see, it's the two ladies that are trying to yell about things and there's a whole lot of silent people. They tend to be men, you know, yeah. and we have Horgan here who's a freaking old white man running the NDP that's supposed to help all the marginalized communities that's freaking, you know, arresting them whenever they're doing land issues, but is letting, you know, Kitts Beach or Wreck Beach right now yeah. party it on up, right? Yeah, and it's happening across the country. So where's it coming? You know, is it coming from the top, right? Mm-hmm. Hasn't well, been allowed. We talked about this last time, I think, Mel, is that we've we've like bred an individualistic culture and like this is the consequence, right? right. And you can't you're not gonna be able to hold them accountable unless you set firm boundaries. You've let them run all the fuck over telling them they're the best, right? 
we got to make it cut and dry. Like we need actual rules and they need to be clear. And that has been something that BC has failed at over and over and over again and ended up just confusing them and giving them a carrot every two weeks. And now they're pissed off too. Yeah. I think it, you know, it's going to come to a head eventually, yeah. but uh, I think Bonnie, I have been calling it. I, I knew before, before spring break that she was going to let up off the break. Right. And I can see it coming now. Those restaurants are opening. Oh, May they and May long weekend. Workers? They're just ready. They're ready. Oh, yeah. You Before know, teachers the, the still. Before teachers still. Like, teachers are still not vaccinated. And she just said on a radio show the other day yeah. when questioned about schools that teachers were prioritized to get vaccinated first. That came out of her mouth. While teachers are not still vaccinated and restaurant workers and ski hill workers are, were vaccinated, right? Like, yeah. Sanity coming out of her mouth is just wild when we have literal documentation. I, I, I've had people message me on Twitter and basically say, you know, I want to be able to tell you the name of the company I work for. But if I get fired, how do I feed my kids? Absolutely. Because they, they, want, they want to spill the beans that they have companies that, you know, the owners are buddies of Horgan. Or buddies of Jimmy Patterson or buddies of Mr. Aquilini. Well, and this is why I put my face on it is because I am a relatively privileged person with a lot of education that happens to be white as well. And I already have a lot of people yell at me because the research I do. So the point of being in this privileged position is to draw attention to those people so that we don't have to have them be harmed so that we can draw attention to the marginalized communities, right? Like That's right. frontline workers shouldn't have to be at this microphone telling people to stop killing them. Yeah. You know, right? I, and and uh, post-secondary students that are, you know, they're living on their own. They can barely feed themselves right now. They're hoping to go back to school. They're still paying tuition and what have you. Have no certainty protected. in life. House prices are exploding. Yeah. They have no future to think of right now, right? There's yeah. no certainty about anything. And if they're interested in the climate, it looks like it's fucked anyway, right? That we might solve this COVID thing and then in 20 years we're going to implode the world anyway. So we got bigger issues to deal with. It's like oh. existential crisis after crisis for this generation. Yeah, I, you know, I'm Gen X. So, you know, I've watched it all sort of happen from, you know, many moons ago. I mean, I moved out on my own way in 1990. You know, um, and, you know, myself and my friends, we would kind of joke and say, you know, the kids, the, you know, 20 and under kids or 25 and under kids, a lot of them appear selfish, but I think it's because they were never held to consequences, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we joke and call it the timeout generation, mm -hmm. go sit in your timeout chair, right? And they never really learned how to really uh, function on a daily basis, especially well, in society and think of the this, greater good. It's sort of the same thing that they've done with BC ed, right? Like they've taken away actual resources to teach kids things and the ability to teach kids in different ways that need mm -hmm. to learn in different ways and essentially put them in situations where they can't learn a lot of the time, barely pass them, even though they don't learn the content and just shove them through the years. Which is yeah. what happened with my son. He went undiagnosed for eight years with a severe learning disability. He did not learn all the time. And they just passed him until grade 10. And then we're like, oh, he's not at grade level. We're going to fail him now. How was that his fault? How oh, was boy. that his fault? Not at all. That's terrible. Right? Yeah. I, I just actually just dawned on me. You know, the, the whole 
ruckus about the FSA testing that was, mm. you know, back in January, February, whatever. Yeah. Is it possible that they pushed that through despite all the parents and the teachers protesting it so that they could close some schools? Yes. So they could drop the funding like, oh, such and such school is, isn't doing well. Here's a way for us to not spend money on teachers. Right. right. And look at all the funding and cuts support. that came. Right. Surrey, the district that has been putting in so much damn effort to have alternative learning options and has some of the online options and all those things. The teachers who have been, you know, told to go be in a hostage situation every day um, yep. just just have no rights. Right. They just have nothing. No, they're it's like a serfdom. Right. Yeah, it really is like you, you're you're going to do what I say and you're going to like it. And and we're not supposed to complain that we're going into situations that may kill us, right? Like, I'm a crazy person or people want to make fun of me because I'm like, no, nah, I don't think I should have to go to the store and be worried I'm going to die. I just don't, you know, I don't think I should have to. Or I don't know if I'm going to have to shelter in place for three years because they're like, oh, Great Barrington, vulnerable people just stay in your house, right? Well, that was the whole thing there. I mean, even reading, like I've dug up some um, BC cdc docs you know from quite some mm -hmm. time ago when they were originally writing these whatever and their whole focus was protect the vulnerable well they failed and they're still failing i don't feel very protected no and i don't think they ever really cared i think you know i'm sorry but you know people in, in public publicly funded long-term care are very expensive mm -hmm. they're they drain the coffers you know in in the hospitals the smaller hospitals all have step-down units, right, of people that are kind of languishing there, waiting for a bed to open up in long-term care. Yep. Well, lots of beds have opened up. Yep. You know, and my 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 mother, um, several years ago, was living in a kind of independent living, assisted living, independent living, and yeah. that place is expensive. Like, yep. the, the private ones are extremely expensive, but, you know, she wasn't getting the help she needed there, so that's when I moved her in with me. Yeah. And my grandma, the one that she was in was, you know, there, that was a system in which they still have quad rooms. Right. And even yep. in the COVID situations, they kept patients in quad rooms because we did not have aerosol transmission recognized. Right. So they can say that they did everything they can. And they changed things. But we mm -hmm. knew that dro droplet dogma killed in December before they killed my grandma and they yeah. still didn't change it. Right. They didn't change it for all the months that the LTCs were hard hit and had four times as many deaths in the second wave, even though we already knew these things. Yeah. Oh, that's something we can segue into here. Um, that's one thing I've been that's what I've spent this week doing is literally with a magnifier going through the, um, the outbreak reports, which mm -hmm. oddly enough, kind of did, I don't know if they updated their data or what they did, but some of them have gone missing like yes. a year's worth. A year's yep. worth has gone missing. Same thing with our SIT reports, right? And But anyway, going through, looking at them, the math is not adding up. But looking at the different outbreaks, like Holy Family Hospital has had, what, five? Mm -hmm. They've had, like, four or five outbreaks. Well, mm -hmm. they had one where they had, like, two, two residents get sick. After about a week, they declared it over. It's been over. Five days later, new outbreak, and that was the one that had, like, 88 people and, like, 26 deaths. Yeah, because the outbreak just... didn't end. No, it just did, obviously. It kept right, going. that's what happened in my grandma's home, is that she was the first one that was positive of 
eight when they tested, mm-hmm. but then they tested all the residents and 27 were sick, but only one staff, but then they tested all staff on third round and found eight staff that were mostly asymptomatic, right? They just they just ignored asymptomatic. They ignored the role of rapid tests so that yep. they could just claim that they didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't find out until the resident, and that's a lie. There were ways that they could have done it, and they were doing it in other jurisdictions. Yeah. Well, you know, my mom and I were talking about this last night. Like, you know, a lot of the 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 long term care, you know, um, the high care, high needs care mm-hmm. homes, you know, Alzheimer's or you yep. know, you know people that are physically disabled or whatever, they cannot communicate that they don't feel well. Mm -hmm. So how can you monitor by symptoms when they don't even know? Right. They might, I mean, who knows? I mean, I remember my, you know, my husband's grandmother had Alzheimer's and she was in long-term care, but she also had severe allergies. So she always had a runny nose. She always had a runny eyes. She was always sneezing. How can you count? How how would she do now in a a pandemic? Well, and my grandma, she had symptoms on the Thursday and didn't get the positive till Saturday. And they told her at first that she had a cold and they didn't test her. That's just great. That's just great. And they're, of course, they're still doing it. You know, I... Oh, I, nothing's changed. Like they, she, they went up there and said about the LTC report that they've learned from it. What did you learn? Because you're doing the exact same thing. They're still doing it. You know, all you did was vaccinate them. You did not change any of your policies about this. No. And, you know, I, I, this is, I don't know if you recall me putting on Twitter, I don't know, about a month ago or so, that I had noticed when they declare an outbreak now, hospital and or long-term care, it's always when there's five patients. Hmm. It's a minimum of five people now. So, sorry, I'm I'm attacked by a mosquito. Um, Yeah, so it seems to me that they're waiting until they have a large enough amount that they can't hide it. Yes. And that's when they're well and, and that's, that's when they're declaring declaring it and then they're declaring it over right away. Yeah. And and that's the thing I think has been going on in hospitals as well, is that they're just they're refusing to call it an outbreak unless it gets to a specific level because there's been lots of stuff brewing in hospitals for sure that we just never hear about. You know, oh, that they Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, two days later, oh sorry, new outbreak. And then you go yeah. look, no, and they just had never actually tested anybody. Well, or they'll K- claim it's a new floor when it's not. Or a different unit. Like KGH, you know, a 70-year-old man two months ago contracted it there and died. Like, obviously, y'all have some problems, right? Yeah. Like, people shouldn't be contracting this illness when they in go the to hospital. get help in the hospital. These are our most vulnerable people now that are getting infected the place they go to get help. Yeah. Like, my, my son has an appointment at Children's next week. Ugh. And I really don't want to have to take the ferry for one thing. And for two, I don't want to bring him into the hospital. Oh, the ha- I'd so be terrified of the ferry. Well, we stay in the car. You know, the bleem is off that rose after living on the island for as many years as I have. But yeah, yeah, I just, I, I, I think, you know, I have like in action PTSD. I'm afraid of people now. Yeah. And I was always really outgoing, but it's like now I don't want anybody coming near me. And I don't know how long it's going to take to get over that. Do you think that that's from seeing the response of a certain section of the population not care? Because I feel like for yes. me, it's been like, I have an autoimmune disease, so I'm one, mm-hmm. you know, I'm one of those at risk. And my, and my son has these issues, too, and has asthma. And it's like, it's genuinely traumatic to, like, lay there at night and think about that there's a large portion of people you know that don't care if they you don't get infected and die in a genuine way. Like, wouldn't take a vaccine to make sure you don't die. Yeah, they don't care. 
it's every, you know, every man for himself, every person, I guess, you know, politically correct, every person for themselves now. And I, I couldn't live with myself. No, me neither. You know, well, you know, I have a really high moral standard and, you know, I'll sacrifice myself for the greater good, right? If it, if it keeps somebody else safe. Me too. I think it's a lost art. I really do. You know, like putting, putting yourself out there, you know, facing, you know, public scrutiny and everything. Right. And, uh, but it's like, I've got nothing to lose. I mean, I'm, I've been tempted a few times to go down and start picketing in front of the legislature. Well, and this is why we started this is because at the end of the day, you know, what I, because uh, obviously I'm in the community, I'm going to my residency, like mm-hmm. there's the potential for backlash and the government has already been mad at me, but whatever. Um, I just don't care, right? Like it's literally yeah. life and death. Like yeah. we here in North America are entitled pricks right now, pretending that we should go back to our summer when India is being ravished. We're sitting on the rapid tests, apparently, that we could be sending them if we have them. And so AstraZeneca. Like, it's yeah. disgusting, right? Mm-hmm. We're disgusting as a human species right now. Yeah, people are selfish. And- you know, I, I, I've said for months that there's two camps right now. There's the people like us. Mm-hmm. That are kind of the warriors and are doing everything we can to keep ourselves safe and the people we love safe and the people that we love, maybe people they love. Right. And yeah. then there's the ones who don't give a shit about anybody but themselves. Oh, but I want to go to a hockey game or, you know, my kids are missing out on karate. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Kids are resilient and it's just a snippet in time. They're going to forget sh- all about it. It makes me on. wonder... A large part of me wonders if a large section of those people are people who have not dealt with significantly traumatic circumstances or who are people who have not had their resilience tested. Yes. I'd like to see them walk in my shoes. In right. my shoes for one day and deal with what I've dealt with. Right? Right. Yeah. You know, to really face life or death. Because if you're, like, if mentally, and I say this to the people who, you know, are mad at what I just said, if you genuinely consider that if you view going to a restaurant or a hockey game as the most important thing, and we are genuinely talking about our kids living and dying, you have to understand our perspective seeing that, yeah. that you it's, are telling us that our child's life is worth your hockey game. Or their entertainment is, is right. more important than, than, like our, me personally, than our kids' safety. If they told me, like, you know what? we can save India if you spend the next five years in your house doing virtual. Of course I do it. Yeah. But apparently there's a lot of people that wouldn't. They won't even do it for one day. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's not even a question for me. No, me either. You know, that's the thing. Like, right from the get-go, it was like, I couldn't live with myself if I knew that I went out to, I don't know, I go out to Starbucks, I go in the store to get a coffee. Mm -hmm. I refused to wear my mask because they'll let you grab it from the mobile counter and got one of those kids in there sick who brought it home and their parent died yeah, or their young child died. Like I couldn't live with myself yet. There's, you know, 135 million people or something that have been infected that probably a lot of them didn't care. Well, and I think when we're talking about a transmissible disease, like it gets me to this place where I'm like, it's negligent homicide at some point of our government, of these people that, especially the government, that know that there are practices that could reduce the death of their population but are choosing not to do so for financial purposes. Right? Money. That's criminal negligence. Right it now. is. Yeah, yeah. You know, we always knew that money made the world go around, but 
Fuck. You can really see. I mean, I just look at Jimmy Patterson. Yeah. He's doubled his fortune in a year. Right. Of course. All the rich people have. They've gotten richer, right? You know, all roads lead back to Jimmy. Right. You like know, all these big companies. You know. If we if Amazon got taxed for last year, we probably could have given the whole world benefit payments for COVID. Right. Like there are simple things we could do yeah. that would like make drastic impacts on the world. But we see most people have such a small picture. Right. And it's just for themselves. They're worried about that. But there are so many big dramatic things that we could do and we have the opportunity to do at this point in the pandemic and the lights on and the blinders off right like yeah. remember last summer when george floyd died how many people were you know up and at her and ready to do the right thing and ready for racial justice and how many mm-hmm. of those people that posted black squares on instagram are still doing that work probably not a whole lot not too many you know and you know i i, I look back like all these people that are starving in the States or whatever, right? Yeah. Like they went all year without any money, right? They weren't working. Yep. And you think, remember when in Paris, when the, the Louvre, or what was it, the Louvre, what, St. Peter's Basilica or whatever it was, burnt down? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yes. How many billions of dollars were donated to a church, right? A church that a has church. a, like, horrible history of abuse and, like, all yeah. these other things, right? An like, inanimate building, like... Why can't you people turn around and give it to your your neighbor's child that maybe needs a new computer for school? Like, <laughs> yeah, like don't sign sight C and have universal basic income, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, they can't afford it, or they can't they can't up disability pensions, and they can't up who income would that assistance. And, who would that benefit versus what they're doing right now? Right, corporations versus the yeah. individual level. Nothing they're doing is for individual help. No, 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 no. It's to keep their donors. It's all. You know, I really wish I could deep dive. I wish I still had access to some of that stuff to do a deep dive on following the money. Yeah. Well, Mel and I intend to keep doing this. So you are welcome to continue on this journey with us in Project Canary looking at data because we that's part of what we want to do for the BC Accountability Project is really just to rip into Horgan for the next four years into his data and the crap that he's doing because he's obviously a little bit evil. He's a little bit of a bonehead. Yeah, he's a little bit of a dick. So it's my job yeah. to show his dickiness because I don't like that. Yeah, no, I don't like how he talks to uh, elected members of oh. parliament. The way he's spoken to Renee and the other females specifically Susan has just Bond, been Shirley Bond and everything. Just, yeah, yeah, like he's you're being asked a question, me. even if you're not going to answer. Why are you speaking like that to another human being and winking? Yeah, like. It's a it's a serious job. Your job is serious. Shouldn't you be taking it seriously? No, he's he's turned into a tyrant. Yeah, and you he's know, a baby. He's, he's a little baby coward too. He won't show up for anything. So no, I you know it's funny because I you know before I joined Twitter because I had never been on Twitter until one day I just I followed a link from Reddit because I'm a Reddit gal, right? Yeah. And um oh I just lost my train of thought. Anyway, they were talking about uh, Horgan and. Oh, blah, blah, blah. He's, you know, he's such a great premier. This is before the election. And I said, he's a fucking ghost. Where mm-hmm. is this guy? Mm-hmm. Where's he been all summer? You know, if, if the, if Dr. Bonnie and Mr. Dix can't do the numbers on the weekend, well, Horgan's always out there saying, you know, come support my golf club or whatever, right. what have right. you. Why can't he do it? He you came know, out got- to promise benefit checks. That's what he came out for. Yeah, well, the bribes, you mean? The BC bribes? The ones, 
ones that the ones that didn't actually get through to a huge amount of families that needed them for long periods of time, and some people still haven't received them. I I had a theory about that because they had four hundred million that was given to them initially, right, for the pandemic response. Where did that money go? You know, that's on top of the budget that they had already tabled to take care of that, which was what one point five eight billion that they had mostly spent. I think they used that $400 million to pay those benefits, the BC benefit. And when the money ran out, so did the checks. Yeah. Well, now they're just out of everything. So I guess the next week we'll be seeing what they do with the fact that the data leaks continued and the LTC report is still trickling out there. And I think there's going to be more attention paid to it in the next week. So I'm hoping that the media will ask some follow-up questions, but we'll see. Right, because no one's ever actually seen that full long-term care report, have they? Oh, the one that they mysteriously had like after they didn't have anything, right? They just popped out out of nowhere. He didn't know about it for the last yeah. four months. You know, I mean, it's October 22nd, it was sitting on Horgan's desk or sitting on Mr. Dix's desk and never got mentioned. They swept yeah. it under the rug. You know, we all know that's why Horgan called the election when he did, because they knew they had the modeling. Yeah, They knew from end of August modeling into September what wave two was going to look like. And I agree. And the only reason I agree is because they've been fucking with the school data from the start. Yeah, they have. To Schools fit are their narrative. To fit yeah. their narrative, essentially. And every time that we've gotten to a place where we've been able to pinpoint ways that their data is showing that it's not, they start either withdrawing that metric so we can't see it anymore or they change it or they stop testing in that area like there's been a counteraction to every time we've called them out on certain things so no it's retaliation i mean i knew that right from that first walk in for ed or whatever red for ed thing mm -hmm. i thought they're just they're going to embarrass jennifer whiteside mm -hmm. and piss off reka to be fair she embarrasses herself well, so. She does. She's just a figurehead. She's a bobblehead on paper. I mean, we all know, we all know that she was. She, we never even heard from her until what first week of February. She never oh, came out of her. She office. said nothing. She said no. nothing, and now she says it's okay if kids get COVID in school because it only spreads to one or two other people. Um, I think she missed something in the memo. I don't think she's the sharpest tool in the shed. I really don't, you so know. And I've kind of done a deep dive in her into her history. You know, in that she was, her background experience for most of her career was in union negotiations, union that's representation. Right. So that's why I've been convinced since the day she was appointed, because where the hell was she? She came out of nowhere, right? Yeah. So Mel... Hearing yeah, all that, quiet. <laughs> yeah, no. Mel, hearing all that, I think we're probably going to come to a close soon because we try and keep okay. it not too long. Um, yeah. Mel, what do you think hearing it. all that and what you think or predict for the coming week? Okay, these are my predictions for the coming week. I predict more leaks are going to come. I think there are going to be more and more revelations coming from the LTCs. The reporters are not going to let this go. And uh, we're going to hear more from the unions and teachers because we have them coming and joining us in the next coming show. Oh. So we're going to be hearing about what their position is. Mm -hmm. right? right. So, so we'll, we'll wait and see. I'm, I've been very disappointed in the BCTF, though. They just haven't seemed to put their best foot forward in, in forcing their position on this. They're just acquiescing.
they sort of just roll over at random points. Like, you know? just say something that agrees you know? with us and then just roll back over. That's another follow the money trail that I, I'm going to try and keep you up with on the loop on, you know, like the 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 uh, hedge fund that manages the BT, BCTF pension mm-hmm. is based out of Victoria and they only have one client. <laughs> There's some random little company and they're, you know, doing a deep dive into their financials that I did, you know, uh, they're, they've got the money invested in some really high risk entities and horrifying maybe it's maybe there's no money there yeah maybe that's why they wouldn't let them strike they don't have any money to pay them who knows stuff could come crashing down in the next year yeah but, you know something to follow I, I think in the next week i expect unfortunately and i hope i'm wrong because i would love to be wrong is that despite the uh data stuff that's been going on with hospitals decreasing in cases the icu has been remaining stable so i actually expect we're going to continue to see that stability there because the numbers aren't really representing what's going on so i hope that i'm wrong and we see icus decreasing in this next week that would be a good sign um but thus far they've remained pretty stable well, even the hospitalizations did a really rapid drop, considering be like 78 people admitted. But, oh, we're down by 42. Yeah, well, I'm, I would love to see the policies and the date timelines for when they're dropping people off right now and if there's been any changes about that. And I expect that's something that we'll see in the future in FOIs as well. Well, I think it's the at the 10-day mark. Like, so, yeah. you know, we know that at the 10-day mark of infectiousness, they're dropping them. They no longer, they consider them recovered in 10 days, right? right? Which well, gives the, us a really bad idea of what's going on because those individuals, you know, they're just replacing each other and we never know it. Well, that's the thing, you know, and like what, so on average, it's like day five or six when they start to feel kind of crummy. Maybe they'll go get tested on day eight. So day nine, they wake up, they can't breathe, or, you know, maybe they think they're having a heart attack. Who knows, right? So they go to a hospital, they get admitted, and the next day they fall off the list because it's day 10. So they might have had 200 people admitted overnight, but we went down by five. <laughs> the math just doesn't add up. It, it, that's the transparency part that's, yeah, I feel I feel bad for our, our listeners yeah, who are, well, like, dense, right? We'll see if they uh, give us more data transparency like they say they've been going to be doing. So I look forward to seeing whether this week is the week that they become open data oriented. Uh, (laughs) uh, Do you believe it? No. No, me neither. You know, they'll probably just remove another category that they know people are looking at. You know, like it's interesting because I had been posting on Twitter about the outbreak reports. And mm-hmm. the SIT reports, because I was deep diving doing snapshots when I cleared it out, went back in to do another, to pick up another one. And they all disappeared off the data. <laughs> they were just gone. Yeah. So are they, are they watching? we're going to see more of that. Yeah. Like, they must be watching the traffic on the website. Well, the data even, downloads, like, right? the number of isolations and stuff, too. Like, they just know when we start to use certain numbers, they start to switch them. Like, in the SIT reps, they went, they used to have positivity rate, and then they switched to per capita. And now it's like a blend, so you don't even get all the numbers, and you yeah. can't really calculate it based on their numbers. Like, they make it so every time you want to do something, you have to do, like, three extra steps just to do that. It's just complete obfuscation. Um, and I expect we will see more of it this week. Well, if you go back and look at the original sit reps from the beginning, they were twice a week. 
Mm-hmm. Same thing with yeah. the variant updates were two or three times a week, right? Well, and they should be tracking all this information regularly given we're in a pandemic. And if they didn't have it figured out then, they should have it figured out now. And there are yeah. enough people within BC that are smart, tech-oriented, that have offered their services as well. There's no excuse anymore. They've refused to pair with BC COVID Tracker Facebook moms. They've refused to pair with the COVID modeling group. There's no excuse anymore. So, Well, I, you know, I, I just hope that there you know, people out there that have some kind of an ethical standard that are working in some of these facilities yep. or keep dropping them leaks dropping them or, leaks or just come forward yeah you know is is it worth selling your soul yeah for a crappy job working for them yeah i don't know you'll always get it you know those are high skilled gigs right they can yeah. always get another job and you know then they've got they have a moral code and people like and- people with a moral code and i was gonna say what i've learned in my life of being uh brutally honest which gains me a lot of followers and a lot of haters is that some people love that right just like some people hate it so the people that have a lot of integrity and like honest people they're Mm going to like you and they're going to hire you you're not going to end up at the places that hate integrity integrity people right like but that's okay because there's good people out there that want people like you and will want someone that's going to bring forward that sort of integrity to their position well, you know, I, I actually just to think of, to mention government stuff, I worked briefly for the government. I was on a temporary assignment mm-hmm. and right from day one, you know, I'm bubbly and, you know, generally most people are happy to meet you and whatever. Walking in that office, you could sense a collective depression. Mm-hmm. It was the weirdest, most demoralizing atmosphere I've ever been in. And people would sit in the lunchroom and look down at their plates like nobody would talk there because was no the systems are broken right yeah and the so people working common. in those systems know it's broken they see it broken every single day yeah but nobody is forcing the change and that's where we come in is like we have to start making the change we can't talk about it anymore we have to just keep putting highlights on it because these assholes have to do something at some point you're right. It has to change, and hopefully, it'll change from the top. But and if it doesn't, I'm we do all this. We do all this for historical purposes, right? Like exactly. we have to record these events so that they can't get swept under the rug, so that we have the voices saying these things. So I want to thank you for coming on here tonight. Yeah, to talk thanks about for having me on. Experience as a parent Before, in DC. Ed. 